Several years ago, I was staying in Oakhurst, California, and I took a drive up in the mountains because I was looking for a place to hold a teen backpacking trip. Every year it was a challenge to find a spot depending on the snow levels. When the snow levels were lower, it made it extra challenging because then the usual spots in the high mountains you couldn't go to. So I'm driving around by myself in my little red Jeep Liberty. And at one point in the drive, I'm on off-roads, I'm on dirt roads. I see a big mud puddle. And I said to myself, self, you can make it through the mud puddle. You can drive this vehicle through the mud puddle. So I put it into full-time four-wheel drive, rev the engine, and I accelerated towards that puddle. Confident, confident. Hit the mud puddle, noticed it grabbing my wheels a little bit, still charging hard, and I literally was saying to myself something to the effect of, I hope I don't get stuck. And literally, as the word stuck lodged itself in my mind, I realized I'm stuck. That mud was deeper than I expected, soupier than I expected, and I didn't have what it took to get through it. Well, okay, pop it into reverse. Let's see if I can go backwards. No. Some of you have been in that kind of mud before. Well, I guess I'm going to have to find a way out. I can do this. And so I hop out. It's really gross mud. I think I even took my socks and shoes off because it was so soupy and, and miry. And I kind of assessed the situation. Okay, what can I do? Eventually, I found the, the broken off tip of a snowmobile ski. I didn't have a shovel, but I found this. So I go to my car and I start trying to dig out the, the wheels that were especially stuck with this snowmobile ski tip. I dug for over an hour. The problem was every time I would dig out the mud, it was so soupy that mud would just ooze back in to the same spot. And so I did my very best, and after an hour or so, I get back in my vehicle hoping, praying, start the engine, give it everything I have, nothing. So now I'm not only alone, but I'm stuck alone in the mountains. Mountain road, well, what do you do? No cell service, you gotta hike down the road. Hiking, 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 hiking. Eventually, I stopped at a spot where the road joined into a more traveled road. So instead of one car every seven days, it, was, it wasn't quite that bad. But eventually, a car came by, and I said, hey, can you give me a ride into town? They almost didn't want to do it, but I finally convinced them to do that. And eventually, I got myself back to town. Have you ever felt stuck before? Have you ever felt alone before? Maybe you're watching today alone at home, wishing for fellowship, 
you've experienced that over these last couple of months, the solitude. Uh, it's tough being alone, but it's tough being alone, especially when you're stuck. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, looked into the future and he saw that his disciples were going to be stuck and they were going to be alone. And so he made them a very important promise to help give them hope. I'd like to take a look at that passage. I invite you to open up your Bibles at home or here. We're going to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Powerful passage, well-known words, but important and needed for today. Of course, you'll remember the familiar words in John 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. And why was he saying that? He was saying don't be troubled because he was going to go away. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare some mansions for you. A celestial home, a palace just for you. I'm going away, but I'm coming back again. So don't be troubled. He continues on in the passage, and eventually we get to verse 15. But it's in the context of Jesus saying, I'm going to go. When your best friend moves out of town, when your family member takes a job and has to move away, it's sad having to say goodbye. But Jesus wasn't just moving out of county, out of state. He was moving off-world. This was big. He said, don't be troubled. Trust me. Trust me. I've got something better for you. And so knowing that they were going to be alone, knowing that they were going to be stuck, he gave them help in verse 15. And he said, if you love me, and that can be kind of a loaded phrase sometimes. If, you, if you've ever heard that in your marriage or something. If you really loved me. I'm not sharing from personal experience. I'm just saying that can happen. Love you, Sarah. She didn't say that, by the way. Right. And I haven't had to say it either. Praise the Lord. But Jesus says, if you love me, what? You will keep my commandments. Now, we like this verse as Adventists, don't we? <laughs> we like this verse and we know this verse because this is the verse we use to say, hey, Christian friends, just saying, if you love Jesus, bada boom, Sabbath day, keep it, right? <laughs> All right, next topic. Any questions? <laughs> right? And, and, and I don't want to make light of this important verse, but sometimes that's the only way in which we use it. Sometimes that's our only focus. But remember, Jesus is talking first and foremost to his disciples that he's about to leave. He knows that times are going to be tough for them. And so he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And there are two ways to understand that phrase, keep my commandments. It can be understood as a command, if you love me, then I command you to keep my commandments. And, and that may be a valid application. But the literary structure and the context suggests it'd be more proper to understand it as if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. If you love me, the natural effect, the cause and effect relationship will be that you will want to keep my commandments. You will be keeping my commandments. So what are Jesus' commandments? Well, again, we like to jump back to Exodus 20, right? The moral law. And, and that's certainly one of Jesus' groupings of commandments. His ten words, essential for our lives and our, for, for our society. But just a, a chapter before this, in John 13, Jesus had already said to his disciples, I'm giving you a new commandment. And what was that new commandment? Exactly. Not one that replaced any of the old ones, but one that further highlighted the point of all the other commandments. Love one another as I have loved you. And I just have to pause with what we're going through in our country right now. We need a whole lot more love for each other, don't we? It doesn't matter what your political views are. It doesn't matter what your job is. We need to love each other better. Some people feel as though racism has been, expo or has, has, has been manifest and a whole lot more recently, but uh, it seems actually that racism that has been underground has just been exposed again. The scab has been pulled off again. And we're seeing these tensions flare up. Racism and Christianity are incompatible. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from. And I said it last week, and I'll, I'll say it again, I live a very privileged life. And, and when I say privileged, that's not a saying, oh, it's bad to be living a privileged life. It's just recognizing that I have certain advantages that people who don't look like me don't always have. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine um, within the last... Uh, well, since the year 2000, he tried to buy a home here in Modesto. He went to a realtor, and he knew for a fact that there was a home available because his friend had a home. But he went to the realtor and said, we'd like to buy, or maybe it was rent, uh, some houses. And the guy said, there are no homes available, none whatsoever. And they began to be suspicious that it was maybe the color of their skin that was causing the issue for this guy. Because they knew that there were homes available. Finally, they, they found a different person, uh, somebody that wasn't racist. And they found, oh, there's a great home right here. So they buy the home, they move in, and wouldn't you know it, they get some new neighbors shortly after that. Who would you guess the new neighbors were? It was the first realtor who said, there are no homes available. The new neighbors move in. They move into the house. And when they see who their next door neighbors were, this isn't in the dark ages, okay? This was within the last decade or two, and this stuff happens currently. When they saw who their new neighbors were, they moved everything back out to the, uh, their other house around the corner. Eventually, they sold both homes. That's not an experience that people that look like me tend to have. And so I have been learning more and more about the heartache and the, the lack of love 
that exists in our society presently. And so Jesus, when he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, he's not just saying, don't have other gods. He's saying, don't be racist. Love other people, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like. Love them even if they annoy you. Didn't say you have to like everybody. I remember my sister and I, we used to, you know, fight as kids. We always loved each other, but we weren't always sure we liked each other. But of course, I love my sister very much. Jenny, if you're watching, I love you a lot. <laughs> as Christians, we have a responsibility to work towards a better society. So whatever that looks like, if it's telling your, your uncle who's telling a racist joke at, at Thanksgiving, hey, that's not appropriate, or standing up and... Um, joining in with those who are seeking uh, just justice, just love, just equal treatment. Um, we need to love each other in a practical way. There's more we could say on that, but I just want to say if, if, if you just want to talk and you want a listening ear, I'm here for you, and we want this church to be a place that is safe for all, amen, amen. to share their stories without judgment uh, and to receive love and fair treatment in response. You know, even the fact that I'm a guy, just by the way, is helpful too. Sometimes just, you know, I'll talk with someone and they say, even conversations with Shelly, our, our treasurer, she said, hey, could you call the, um, the company for me? Because when I've talked with them, it doesn't seem like they're willing to do what we need. And sometimes just getting a guy's voice on the line makes a difference. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Uh, but we need to recognize it is what it is and um, try and be just in all our interactions with one another. So Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to love each other. You're going to do justly. Uh, love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. But what does it say next in the passage? Because I'll be honest with you, for years, I never knew what came next. Because I had been in that Adventist proof texting thing where I'm just looking at, okay, what's this verse and how can I use it? I didn't know what came next until I started listening to scripture songs. The song we'll actually be hearing at the end of today's message from Esther Moy. And I realized, oh, there is so much Awesomeness that comes after verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then what does he say next? And I will pray the Father. I will request of the Father, and he will give you another what? Another helper. The Greek word there for another is alos. It's not a different kind of helper. It's another helper of the same kind. Jesus was about to go away, and they were going to be given another helper of the same kind. Uh, the word for helper in Greek is parakletos, and it's not used very much, but literally uh, what it means is um, one called to the side of. Somebody who is called to be alongside of you. 
and it's used in different senses in the New Testament. It's used as one who exhorts us, who encourages us to do right. It's one who convicts us of truth and of righteousness. It's also um, one who brings comfort to us, one who helps us. So Jesus, knowing that he's about to leave, he says, I'm going to give you somebody. Because if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But by the way, you can't do it on your own. You need a helper. You need somebody to convict you, to help you, to pick you back up again, to push you along the right path. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'm going to give you a helper, a counselor an advocate, one to exhort for you. There are actually three prepositions that are used in connection with the Holy Spirit in just those two verses. Uh, there are two types of words for with. So in two ways, Jesus was emphasizing the Holy Spirit will be with you. And he used two different words. He'll be with you, he'll be beside you, uh, or something. And he said he will be in you. He didn't just want to be alongside of the Holy Spirit wants to be in our hearts. You see, this, the solution for the powerlessness that we have to obey, when we get stuck in the, in the mud of sin, mired in our own mistakes, the solution is we need help. We can't get out of it ourselves. We think we can, and we try and we try and we try, and maybe we even make it worse. But God says, I'm going to give you a helper. I love what it says about the helper, the Holy Spirit, in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, verse 27. Uh, in the message paraphrase, it says this, I will put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. I'll put the Holy Spirit in your heart, and that Holy Spirit, that helper, will make it possible for you to do what I ask. And so Jesus says, I'm giving you a helper. I'm not just asking you to obey without power. I'm going to give you the power to, to do it. And a helper who is also a companion so that you don't have to do it alone. Sometimes you just need somebody by your side. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by the simplest of tasks in life. And I just say, Sarah, could you help me out with this? And, and usually what it amounts to is she will sit there and just her presence will help give me the courage to do this simple little task that I've been procrastinating on for months. But her presence alone is enough to help. But the passage says that um, he wants to abide with us for a certain period of time. How long is that duration? Forever. That's awesome. I'm going to give you a companion, a helper, an exhorter, a strengthener, and he's going to be with you forever. I'm going away, but I'm going to give you the helper to help you forever. By the way, at the end, we'll have a video that we'll need. Thanks, Karan. I will help you forever. What's the, the world's uh, knowledge of this? Verse 17, he's called the spirit of truth but the world cannot receive him. The world can't receive him because it neither knows him, sees him, nor knows him. Uh, the world doesn't recognize um, the Holy Spirit or the workings of the Holy Spirit. Do they? 
In fact, even in, even in John's day, John was the uh, baptizer. He was baptizing people. And some of the people who got baptized later in the book of Acts, we learned that they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So there wasn't a, a lot of knowledge in that day. And certainly if, if the disciples didn't have a lot of knowledge of the Holy Spirit, the world wouldn't. But you know, it's possible to be in church here, to be watching this broadcast, and to know about the Holy Spirit, but not know the Holy Spirit. You know, there are radio waves going through our bodies, through this building, but if you don't have a radio, you don't know it. There's Wi-Fi in this church, but if you don't have a device to connect to it, you don't know it. The Holy Spirit is present and active in our world. He's wanting to help us, but if we're not seeking, we won't know. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. It's possible to have the workings of the Holy Spirit all around us and never even know it. Spirit of truth. world can't receive, neither knows him or sees him. But you know him. You disciples, you know him. You're, you're acquainted with him, and he knows you. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus was about to pour out the Holy Spirit upon his disciples and to all believers who wanted to receive the Holy Spirit, not only along with us, but inside of us. And then I love this last verse for our passage today. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will do what? I will come to you. You ever felt like an orphan in this life? Maybe you are an orphan. But sometimes we feel like orphans because we don't have the support that we would like to have. Maybe over these last couple of months, you felt like orphans at home without being able to come to church or to your health club or to the restaurants you like to go to. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to abandon you. I will come to you. And people have understood this phrase in different ways. Um, certainly he was going to come to them after the resurrection. Certainly he was promising to return to them uh, at the second coming of Jesus. But in a special way, in a mysterious way, he was promising that his presence would come to them through the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come to them. And in the Holy Spirit's presence, because God is three and also one, they would recognize also the presence of Jesus. The great preacher Spurgeon, he's dead now, lived a number of years ago, he wrote about this concept of God not leaving us as, as orphans. And notice what he said. He said, an orphan has parents who are dead, but the Spirit shows that Jesus is alive. An orphan is left alone, but the Spirit draws us close to God's presence. An orphan has lost their provider, but the Holy Spirit will provide for us. An orphan is left without instruction, but the Spirit teaches us all things that we need. An orphan has no defender, but the Spirit is our protector. And in that Spirit, Jesus said, I will come to you. I'm going. I'm leaving the planet. It's going to be hard to obey. It's going to be hard to follow me, but I'm going to help you. And I will come to you through the Holy Spirit. I need that help. How about you? Can't do it on my own. I thought I could get out of the mountains on my own. 
Some of you have been wondering, well, how did he get the Jeep out of the mountains? <laughs> I thought I could do it on my own, but I couldn't. Got that ride back into town. Eventually, my friend Steve Hamilton, who used to pastor at Oakhurst, now he's up at Paradise, said, Steve, could you help me out? My Jeep's stuck in the mud in the mountains. He took me up there. God bless him. Took me up there at midnight. We drove up in Bertha. Bertha was his big rig made for the mountains. Massive tires, massive suspension. That thing had a welder on it. It had a winch on it. It had an air compressor on it. He could carry spare axles on this thing. And with the power of Bertha, we made it up to my Jeep. And it was almost embarrassing how easy it was for his winch to pull my little Jeep Liberty out of them. I was kind of disappointed, like, oh man, all my efforts, and I couldn't even get it out, and he just bloop, pulls it out. We need to unite our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? What is impossible for man is totally easy for God. It said in Ezekiel, I'll give you a new spirit, I'll put the Holy Spirit in you, and he will cause you to walk in my footsteps. If you're caused to do something, that means it's a lot easier because you are being pushed. If we have trouble, it's because we're not holding on and asking for the Holy Spirit like we need. Jesus said, I won't leave you orphans. I will come to you. I got out of the mountains that night and I remembered how good it is to have help and to have companionship. We're going to see here if we can play our closing song. Uh, it's from one of my favorite scripture songwriters, Esther Moy. And it'll go through this passage twice. But just listen, meditate, close your eyes if you want to. A very peaceful, relaxing song. Uh, and I hope these words will get stuck in your head to remind you, you can't do it on your own in life. You need the Holy Spirit to be your helper.
Whom the world cannot receive. 
You have a comforter. You're not alone in this world. You're not alone at home. You're not alone in this church building. The Holy Spirit wants to be with you. The Holy Spirit wants to be in you. The only thing holding the Holy Spirit up is our choice. So what will your choice be today? I want that help. How about you? I need that help. Let's pray. Dear Father, I am grateful that you haven't left us alone and you haven't left us stuck in the mud to try and get ourselves out on our own. I want the Holy Spirit. I want you in my life, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for leaving us this gift. Father, we thank you for um, loving us with an everlasting love. And we pray that as we live out these words that you'll remind us if we're straying from you. Help us to open our heart day by day to receive more and more of the Spirit and to have opportunities this week to let others know they're not alone, that we love them, that you love them, and that you're coming back to take us to a better place. May that day come soon, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up our service today, I just want to say, really good to see each one of you. Good to see you digitally, those of you that are at home. We're going to continue live streaming week by week. We'll continue offering our Sabbath school class at 9.30 uh, for our adults. And we have a youth class that we're working on as well. As you exit today, I invite you, if you have offering that you brought, to drop it in the appropriate a plate um, and we'll be dismissing from the rear and please feel free to stay by and congregate but maybe do that outside in the nice fresh air and uh, god bless you have a happy sabbath and stay safe and use hand sanitizer all right god bless we'll see you